This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. The bail reform probation issues feel really one-sided. And every every level of government, we have three of them, uh, is weighing in. And I think it'll have a strong influence on our mayoral by-election. It probably wasn't a top three issue last October. We knew we were in some trouble economically. We knew there were tons of financial implications about decisions that were needing to be made. Um, but it didn't really change two things. It didn't change how we ended up voting and how we ended up voting was also a result of we just didn't see the strongest contender imaginable to take on or out uh, the incumbent John Tory. Incumbents have huge advantage we've seen in in elections in the last three or four years. They have. Maybe there's some support that wobbles a little bit, but really outside of 2018, when the sea change happened, from a liberal majority to a conservative majority and a big bump for the NDP as well. Um, they had a big bump up to 40 seats. They saw that as a as a watershed moment, slipped back to 21 last election. But incumbents have had a, had a big advantage and either they've maintained their uh, strength or they've improved upon it. But safety and crime are going to be major, major talking points. And even yesterday, even yesterday, we see Doug Ford making a call out and he calls out the Trudeau government over a lack there, a lack of urgency for bail reform. I think bail reform is coming. I think there are, look, some of this is always about keeping score politically. It's something you don't have to do and I don't have to do. We don't need to keep score, but, um, but yes, there is going to be some of that. And Ford has not done a lot, especially since the, the heat of the, of the, of the moment with the pandemic, he hasn't really called out Trudeau a ton on much, but he says, you got to fix this. You got to make it tougher for violent offenders to get out. Doesn't look like there's any urgency now. And I would agree with that. It's amazing how you can snap to it when things seem critical on other issues. The pandemic's a great example of that. We're going to move fast at laser speed, at light speed. But when it comes to this violent incident and that violent incident and reassuring public confidence for cities, there isn't a lot of movement. Ford said this two months ago after the terrible tragedy of uh, the police officer being killed by two people who were out uh, on uh, parole and or probation rather. And uh, and and I don't think it's any less true today. We need to put the bad folks away in, in jail and uh, not let him back on the street so easily. It's, it's, it's some, some of the cases have showed me are staggering how they, they get out on bail. So we, we need to do a better job. And uh, anyone caught with a, a gun and a heinous crime, uh, they should be going away for a long time. That's, and that sounds like it's harsh a couple years ago, and I don't necessarily think it feels. That feels you're moving more to the center now, more understanding that everybody has a right to safe passage in a, in a, in a big city. Everybody has a right to a safe street. Everybody should feel comfortable with their aging parents going out somewhere on their own for dinner after doing everything right for six decades or seven decades together, and everybody should be able to take their kids somewhere and not feel threatened, plain and simple. And our own kids should be able to go places and not feel threatened. David Lametti is the justice minister for the federal government. He made this note about the province. Um, whether or not Doug Ford would agree with this sentiment, I don't know, but this is the Liberals' argument back. It's not simply uh, federal criminal code amendments. It's, it's provincial administration. How can we help the provinces better administer bail? The, the Conservatives often forget to point out 
that in the high-profile murder case of, of uh, Constable Pershala in, in southwestern Ontario, the, the person was, was uh, he was not technically out on bail in the sense that there was a bench warrant out for his arrest. So right. he had breached his bail conditions and he was supposed to have been arrested and he wasn't. Yeah, exactly that. And I think we could make that case with Jordan O'Brien Tobin, who's been accused of this murder of Gabriel uh, Magalis um, last Saturday. He's been ordered by GTA judges. He was ordered by GTA judges to attend counseling for his mental health issues, as well as substance abuse. But nobody made sure that he did. I read this from Jen Pagliaro in The Star, who's a great crime reporter. She's been on her show plenty of times. Um, documents obtained by the star paint a picture of a young man bouncing in and out of homeless shelters, been before the courts on criminal charges for his entire adult life. When I'm going innocent victim of the system vis-a-vis a violent psychopath, I'm going latter instead of former. I'm going latter instead of former. And something like a week ago Saturday was probably bound to happen at some point in time because we're not keeping a proper check. Uh, we've got to get all levels of government rowing the oars in the same boat. And we're not there yet. And it's a big ask for the next mayor of Toronto. That's for sure. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. It is equal pay day. And uh, this has this has a lot of parameters. I was looking at some numbers last night. I know Sheba was as well. And um, it's such an interesting conversation. I think it's an important conversation. I know it is. And it's an important conversation as well. I watched my parents basically do the same jobs um, for the same, uh, you know, basically employer, the London Board of Education. But my dad made more as a high school teacher. And my dad made more because he had time invested. And my mom took, oh, from 1970 to 1978 off eight years to raise three kids full time. And I don't know that it's fair that she never is able to get back and make what my dad's dad makes. We always talked about that in our house. My dad agreed. Of course he did. Um, (laughs) I know there's households where I hear about them, Sheba, where it's like, Hey, um, the husband doesn't want the, the wife to make more money. I'm like, where are those houses? Because I'd love it if my wife came home and said, I got 20% raise or I make more than you. (laughs) I think those are fantastic. I want her to work longer than me anyway, but you've got some data. And I think the sunshine list really, really does bear it out. And we talked about that two weeks ago that it's, you sit at a hundred grand when they started the sunshine list. That was the, the, the sort of um, the, the watershed. Well, if you make more than a hundred grand, you're on the list. But I think you and I know a hundred grand in 1996 when Mike Harris started the sunshine list is not a hundred grand in 2023 for cost of living. It isn't. No, it's not. So today being equal payday uh, on average, A woman works 15.5 months to equal what a man earns in 12 months. So it's an extra 3.5 months into a new year to actually even that out. And that's an interesting story about your mom. How did your mom feel watching her husband make the exact, make much more money for the exact same job? I couldn't tell it. This is a great question. I don't know if high school teachers on average made more than elementary school teachers then. And I'm not, I don't think that they should. Okay. But I think she understood that that is the system. If you step out of an industry for eight entire years, you know, there are, there is a seniority argument for it. I don't know where that would stand right now. I'd love for a teacher to answer both those questions. If you take time off for um, not just maternity leave, but raising kids for eight years, why can't you come back and, and you know, make what you should make, whether you took the eight years off or not? You're yes. doing the same damn job. I, I don't get that. 
Yeah, no, that, I mean, that was similar in my house as well, right? now. I mean, mm-hmm. I took some time off. We, I had four kids in six years and I watched my career sort of, uh, pause while my husband's career just took off. And there was a little bit of, I'd say, envy there. I mean, nothing that he's doing wrong on his part, but just watching him be so free. And I mean, no, I mean, I wanted to say I chose to stay home with these kids, but just it's, there is definitely a discrepancy there. Uh, and it is unfair. And your perfect, your parents are the perfect example of that. Same tell, job tell me, tell me, would you say then there's envy because he's got some freedoms you don't, but you're also, look, in, in any kind of relationship, you're your partner's biggest cheerleader. You were probably thrilled. Like his career taking off affects your security and your bottom oh, line. We all say I, that about our partners. Absolutely. And I'm, I was very appreciative of that, 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 you know, he's working hard and he deserves it. No doubt he is a very hard worker. But at the same time, I'm sitting at home with all of these babies around me and no resentment there. I chose to do that. I loved it. I loved mm-hmm. every second of it. Uh, and he would have supported me had I stayed home, had I gone back to work, whatever it was, it was up to me. But there's still, I mean, I love to work. I, I love that. It's a passion of mine. It is a love of mine, especially what I do for a living. Uh, so I did feel, and so does he in a different industry. So just watching that fire and that light and that passion in him, I miss that for myself. Mm. So you tell me if, if I have the read right. I think there, I think there still is discrimination in in workplaces. I absolutely think it's, I think it's unfair. I think it should be illegal to pay women less than men for that exact same job. But I was talking about this with my wife last night, and I think we we couldn't come to an exact, <laughs> we couldn't come to an exact agreement on the ratio. And I said, there's no doubt that there's two issues that stop equal pay for equal work. One is that discrimination. Uh, no doubt it exists. The other is, are do women and men make different career choices and go into different industries? And are women more likely, as you were, and my mm-hmm. mom was, to take time away from their careers when they have kids or choose jobs with flexible hours? Um, I think it's, I don't know if it's 80, 20 or 70. I don't know. I don't know what the Oh, percent- I think it's changing. Greg I, Greg, I think it's changing. There's, there's you know, there's... um paternal leave now there are so many men that are taking it i think 10 15 20 years ago it would have been so frowned upon for a man to do that but i see more and more men that are taking paternity leaves uh just to be home with with the baby when you know the uh the mother decides to go back to work uh i think that it's it's very very different now and it's going to continue to change so if i said how and today go ahead. go ahead sorry sorry i cut you off go ahead no 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 don't no. go ahead i want to hear what you if you if you could if someone said, well, what do you think the distinction is between um, sort of that? OK, I'll say it. Old boys club. This is how we've always done it. M- you know, men get advanced more than women. How much do you think it's that in some workplaces? And how much do you think it's the different career choices we make? And I'll give you an example. Teaching pays less than going into the, going into the medical field or engineering. Men at teachers colleges, it's like 33 percent now, 34 percent. Women want to teach, men don't. Cops, that cops have police have been static mm-hmm. for 20 years where it's like 78% of cops are men. You don't think police forces want more women? They absolutely do, but I don't think they can get them. I don't think that's a job generalizing many women want to do. That's what it says to I me. I think it's changing, but the, Greg. But, I, but I, only, I don't have only a little bit. Only me, a little bit. Yeah, well, it's slowly. I think the needle is moving slowly. But yes, I think that there's more. I mean, there are more women that are educated than ever before. There are more women yep. going to university. There are women, more women working outside of the home than ever before. So all of these things are changing. There are more, which means that there are more women that are less dependent on men. 
financially. So that in itself makes a big difference as well. It's There's so many factors that, that come into play here. And even the Sunshine List. I mean, we would talk about the Sunshine List. There's one woman in the top 10. She makes $1.7 million at Ontario Power Generation. There's In the top 25, there are seven women. In the top 100 on the Sunshine List for this year, there are 32 women. Also, the majority of minimum wage workers are women. So think, there is a big I, I, discrepancy there. I do think it is changing. If we looked at these stats 10, 15 years ago, I think they'd be very different. Needles moving. I just don't think it's moving fast enough. Yeah. Here's the number I, I don't like. Caregiver absences for women mean they don't get as many promotions and salary increases. Plus, their pay drops when they come back to work. Those aged 25 to 38 saw their earnings drop. This is a Canadian uh, stat. Saw their earnings drop 4% in the five years after having a child. I'm all for understanding that, it, it, that I do think it's still... I don't know that we'll ever get to equality in uh, men taking as much. Men are never. You're right. The needles move. Men are never going to take as much paternity leave as women take take maternity leave. I think we'd agree on that. Like it'll never get to 50 50. I don't think we think that. Right. Oh, I know people who do 50 50. No, but I don't think yeah, they do. I, they do I, the night. They. Uh, but I'm saying I'm saying I would have. That would have been unheard of before. So I, I think it might take a while, but I could see it getting there. I know, like the mother takes the first nine months, the father takes the the last nine months. You get eighteen months, and that's I don't know how this works yes. now. <laughs> so we oh, we didn't we didn't have it. Brady, we, it I, changed to eighteen months years ago. I actually it was, didn't a, know it was that. twelve months, and now it's yeah, it's eighteen months. You get to stay home for eighteen months now if you choose to. On that note, really quickly, there are many cafes in Toronto that are highlighting Equal Pay Day by offering women a discount on the same purchase, on the same baked good, on the same coffee or tea or whatever it is uh, that men are paying. So my friend, so every Tuesday of April, women pay less at certain Toronto's cafes and bakeries. My friend uh, owned a bar and restaurant he just sold it last year and he did that for the entire week of uh, of equal pay day and gave discounts to women not just 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 Amazing. to look good but to highlight the notion that he wants everybody get you should get paid equally for the same job it always should be that way and again even if there's an absence even if you've stayed home even if you've been out of the when you come back what's the work you're doing well if it's as good as a man you should get the same as a man this is toronto today with greg brady toronto's news today's talk 640 toronto so pleased to have on a former liberal mp best-selling author and her name into the ring for mayor of toronto selena cesar siobhan it's great to have you on i know you're russian i know you're talking to other people but we thank you for making time for our show Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Okay. Uh, why this? Why now? You tell us. Tell the, tell the audience of Toronto what you're excited to do these next three months. I'm excited to, to get into this race and not, not for the, the, the point of, of fighting other people that are, have declared their candidacy, but to, all, to just represent the people of Toronto, to actually fight for them to have that bold leadership, to have that vision for the city of Toronto that engages not just the feds or the province or, or other uh, city officials, but also really activates the average citizen in Toronto to know that this election is about them, this election is about them thriving, and this election is about a bold, transformative vision for Toronto. We feel like our city's at a tipping point right now. Um, there's people that are scared. There's people that are worried about the long term. There's people that are worried they'll never see the same city again. What can you offer them in terms of hope that your you being mayor would change about all that? You know what? When we think about what other people are talking about, uh, safety, access to TTC, housing, how do we do any of that when we're coming, when we're looking at it from a position of fear and not compassion? 
we heard a, a very strong plea uh, from uh, Andrea Malgalese Mal- mm-hmm. uh, a, a week ago talking about uh, not putting blame on people, t- talking about looking at the social determinants of health, but looking at it from a very compassionate perspective. I think that is what is going to differentiate me. I'm going to have a bold vision. I'm going to have a strong vision for Toronto, but we cannot continue to talk about safety if we fear each other. We cannot continue to talk about housing people for big, building big offenses. We cannot continue to talk about mental health supports when we exclude people with mental, cha- mental health challenges from the conversation. This is about saying that we see the, the mm. most vulnerable among us and we're going to do right by them because that'll lift the entire city. Are there, are there two, that is a clear and defined conversation we absolutely have to have. Is that a conversation in concert with Selena? Um, the idea of some form of bail reform. Um, you know this, the Trudeau government's under heavy fire right now, and, and David Lametti, the justice minister, under heavily, heavy fire to reform bail, to talk. We, we've got police organizations saying, you, you've got, you, you're making us work way too hard to arrest the same dangerous criminals over and over again. Are they two different conversations that we've got to find a way to mesh together? There are conversations that we absolutely need to mesh together. If we look at the data related to uh, recidivism rates, or if we look at the data related to services that people get while in our correctional facilities, mm-hmm. something has to change there. It is not a panacea to just look at bail reform. We have to look at across the board what needs to change in order to give people the support while they're going through our justice system, but also what happens after. They come out after, they don't have the job, they don't have the proper housing, they don't have the proper support. What then happens? There's a huge gap there that needs to be filled. And it's not about throwing more money at it. It's about looking at the current systems that we have in place, the policies that we have in place, and filling those gaps with compassion, but also with intention. Um, I'm hearing the energy in your voice and I'm hearing the passion. Were you close to not doing this or were you on the fence at all over the last several weeks here? You know, when uh, Tori resigned, I uh, put out a, a poll on Twitter. Initially, it was just, you know, just a <laughs> thing that you you do. And, and then the momentum started and people started asking me everywhere I went. Selena, I'm not seeing you. Selena, what's happening? Are you going to do this? Are you going to do this? And you know what? I, I think that this is the time. Uh, I left federal politics. Everybody knows why. I'm a fighter. I'm a, I fight for the people that I love. I fight for the communities I love. And I happen to love Toronto. So I'm going to be yeah. a, a, a mayor that fights for this city and make sure that we just not we don't just survive here after a pandemic. We thrive here as well. I got I, I know you I'm, I can't wait to talk to you more about this. And I know we're tight for time. But a mayor of Toronto is going to have to work. Again, I'll use the phrase again in concert with the premier. They're also going to have to work with the prime minister. Can you work 100%. with the prime minister on these big issues? Absolutely. You know, uh, the, the, the tip I had with the prime minister, of course, I was very public. What really established boundaries and set me apart. I stood up for my values and principles that I think all Torontonians could respect and understand. And it wasn't about uh, backing down. It was about saying, no, I'm not going to back down to you because you're Trudeau. But I could use that same energy mm-hmm. to push the city to forward to allow for us to, to bend the status quo and also to get what Toronto needs. Toronto has, doesn't just have strong economic power. We have strong political power. Look at all the red yeah. zones at a federal election. That is Toronto. That is what we need to push forward for when we look to uh, recover. 
funding for recovery out of this pandemic. I'm already hearing from potential voters how you handled that and how you just explain it's going to going to be more beneficial than it is uh, more positive than a negative. Thank you so 100%. much for the time. Thank you so much for the time today. And I know we'll talk soon uh, in the next three months. Congratulations on being in. Thank you, for sure. Selena Cesar Siobhan joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. He's running for mayor, put his papers in yesterday, came down with his family. Uh, he might have a future uh, future daughter for a politician as well. She was, she was quite chatty. Brad Bradford joins us now. It's great to have you on. Um, you're probably glad to get yesterday out of the way, get this officially kicked off. Yeah, it was it was a big day, uh, but the first of many. We've spent the uh, I guess past six weeks or so talking to thousands of Torontonians from across the city, and the formality of coming down to City Hall and filing the paperwork uh, that felt good. But there is a lot more work in front of us, and uh, excited to get out there. All right, big. Um, you, you've got uh, a platform in essence today, and you've got policy that you wanted to talk about that you're going to mention later today and lay out there when it comes to safety, when it comes to the TTC. Um, so lay, let us in on it and tell us what you got. Well, again, those conversations with thousands of Torontonians, the thing I hear top of mind for folks right now is issues around safety on the TTC. Uh, today we are launching our Safe TTC Now Action Plan, to address those concerns, uh, whether you know you are a nurse trying to get to Scarborough General uh, on transit, whether you're a family trying to come down to Nathan Phillips Square, um, whether you're in North York uh, trying to get around on surface transit, people do not feel safe, Greg. Uh, I see it every day. I was actually at Victoria Park subway station this morning uh, talking to riders, and, and they don't feel safe right now. You see it in the body language. Uh, you see it with everybody's backs jammed against the wall uh, because they're concerned that they could be pushed or end up on the tracks. If you take the 505 Dundas streetcar, you know, there's not a 0% chance that you're going to see a, an open-air drug deal. And and mm-hmm. the stats are there. We see a, a rise in folks experiencing mental health crisis, folks experiencing homelessness on the TTC, uh, assaults, um, you know, uh, racist behavior. All of these things are up on the TTC, and, and regular, everyday Torontonians don't feel safe. So this plan, which is comprised of four parts, is aimed to take immediate action on those things. And uh, I'm happy to walk, walk you and the listeners through it here this morning. Okay. Yeah, we got uh, we have a five minutes uh, left. So I want to give you the floor and, and let you lay this out for, uh, for the people, and then we'll be able to react to it. Okay. Well, first and foremost, we are going to expedite the installation of platform safety barriers. Again, this comes from conversations with riders right now. Um, you see it at the stations, backs jammed against the wall, and, and that's because they're afraid about ending up on the tracks. It happens more and more frequently. And if you look at cities around the world, whether that's New York, Paris, London, Tokyo, they have been able to find a way to get this done. But in classic city hall fashion, we have discussed this for many, many years. There have been projects, there have been reports and studies, uh, but there has not been enough action. So it's it's a big task. It's uh, it's not something that would happen overnight, but we are going to start with high volume stations like Bloor Young, like Eglinton, Finch, and St. George, and and bring platform barrier edge doors um, to make sure that people are safe. 
Um, we've been talking about it for more than a decade. Uh, back in 2010, TTC staff recommended this, but it's it's time to get to work. It's time to deliver that. Okay, okay. one thing on that, what I see in New York City is they've determined, the MTA has determined 128 stations, platform barriers could cost $7 billion. So let's even say it's 13 stations. Take the decimal point away. That's $700 million. Do you have numbers in that range that you're looking at? Could people are going to ask well, you what it costs? Yeah, of course. The TTC uh, released a, a study uh, earlier this year that uh, that identified the cost of $2 billion. That was for all the stations in the network. And that's why I think okay. we need to focus on the highest volume stations. And the other thing is, you know, I talked to transit experts when putting this platform together. Um, there are multiple different ways to do platform edge doors. Uh, you look at a system like Tokyo, uh, it's basically, um, you know, a fence barrier that 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 exists and the doors line up when the when this uh, subway car pulls up they line up in those spaces so it doesn't have to be something super fancy you just need a barrier preventing people from ending up on the tracks mm-hmm. and uh, there's a bunch of different ways to do that the point is uh, less talk more action on platform edge doors at our subway stations start with the highest capacity stations get that going it's uh, you know we're, we're past just studying it and talking about it day one we'll be moving forward on delivering that for torontonians the second piece here greg is boosting security and safety patrols across the ttc Um, again there are a lot of complicated issues playing out on transit right now but first and foremost we do need to have an enhanced security press presence across the network we will deploy 40 new special constables funded through the 2023 budget um, and we're going to deploy them in hot spot stations you will see that presence uh, in the stations. You will see that presence on the network, and they will be tasked with ensuring the safety of all of the TTC customers with the ability to summon both crisis outreach workers and police officers, depending on the nature of the situation. Um, the special constables will be <laughs> enforcing the TTC bylaws, uh, number one, to prevent threatening and harassing behavior. And again, when I talk to folks right now, um, you see those types of altercations all the time, even if it yeah. doesn't end in violence. Um, There is threatening behavior that makes people uncomfortable. So we have 40 new special constables coming online, and they will be supported by 50 new frontline police officers to be deployed in the areas surrounding the identified hotspots. Okay. By the way, I got about 80 seconds. So wait till you're on the debate clock. Then they're going to really be harsh on you. 80 seconds for you. Fair enough. Uh, Number three is a uh, effectively a mental health Uh, crisis intervention team, we're calling it There For You Toronto, an agency to improve boosting mental health resources for people in distress. Um, There are so many different programs that operate right now, and they're not coordinated. We're going to have one agency to coordinate all of the different multidisciplinary teams uh, and combining those efforts with frontline staff, 40 new mental health professionals dedicated to working across the TTC uh, to augment the, the crisis and outreach workers that are already there in a coordinated fashion. And lastly, we have to have cell reception on the subway across the network. Everybody knows that. Um, and it doesn't matter what carrier or provider you're working with. We need to make sure that uh, you have access. It's a safety issue. Uh, you know, when you're riding the rocket, you need your cell phone working. You see it in Montreal. You see it in Vancouver. Toronto has slipped behind. And if you go back to the 20- 
2012 proposal. Uh, the yeah. contract required this to be available for everyone. It's a bar that has still not been met a decade later. Uh, I'm going to demand that accountability. All right. Wonderful. Let's reset this. I think this is a great start, but uh, we'll reset this either later in the week or early next week, Brad. Thanks so much for laying that out there in a, in a, in a tight time window. I appreciate it. You bet. More to come. Thanks, Okay. Greg. Brad Bradford, uh, mayoral candidate, joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. We were talking about um, name changes earlier, and that's uh, um, our next guest has uh, has obviously a, a bone to pick in the city with the potential name change. This happened in my hometown of London this week. They'll change F.D. Roosevelt Public School to Forest City uh, Public School. Um, that's from the Thames Valley District School Board. And again, like there are going to be uh, historical connections with things that wouldn't be done in 2023. Got it. I get it. And by the way, I'm not dismissing it, but you're going to have a lot of problematic legacies for an awful lot of leaders, men and women. If you um, if you go back more men than women, that's for sure. But you're going to have a lot of problems with that. I don't know how many elementary schools either are named after U.S. presidents in Canada. But but that was one, and I know exactly where that is uh, in London, and they're changing uh, that name around. So yeah, um, Ryerson changed to TMU. There's uh, talk, and our next guest is big into keeping uh, Dundas Street where it is. Rob Davis joins us right now, uh, former city councilor in York, former Toronto city councilor as well, and he's running to become mayor of Toronto. Rob, thanks for getting up early. I appreciate it. How are you this morning? Greg, this, this isn't early. It must be. How could it no. not be? It's not late. That's I, for sure. I, I I told your producer I keep the hours of a uh, of an early morning radio show producer. So I uh, this is uh, I've been in a, at this for an hour or two already. Well, why not? So. Why not a, a werewolf or a vampire? Why? Why? Did, uh, at some point, we were all uh, creatures of the late night. When did that change? Well, uh, hey, listen, and and being early isn't isn't new to me. I was the first in line yesterday to register, and uh, <laughs> as mayor, I'm going to always be the first one at the office. Uh, among the members of council, sleeves rolled up, ready to work for the taxpayers of Toronto. We're going to talk about all the big issues, and and not that not that renaming uh, Dundas isn't a big issue, but you're getting well known for your sign. That's for sure. I I said earlier, th- does it hang above your breakfast nook? Do you have more than one sign, or just do you just well, have I, the one? I, I well, let's start off with that. I uh, uh, not not to uh, pick a bone with you, but I don't have a breakfast nook. I have a dining room. <laughs> Uh, but uh, nook, nooks are for teenagers. Oh, okay, all, okay, all, okay. All seriousness and uh, retirees, I think. But okay, sure, yeah. So, yeah. Well, I know actually that that's actually a voting block I'm very uh, keenly interested in. <laughs> but uh, but 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 Greg, I, I have the sign um, that I uh, that I picked up at, at an antique uh, shop in Toronto in the West End <laughs> because it represents. Um, an example of misguided priorities and wasteful spending. You know, a year and a half ago, council voted to change Dundas at a cost estimated at $6 million. And I, and I would warn taxpayers that it's very rare that, uh, that city council and, and the city staff accurately predict the cost of these things. It's normally, uh, they usually uh, underprice these things, uh, like renovating a home. You know, prices come in at, at two, three times the actual uh, estimated cost. But $21 million to change 60 uh, streets in Toronto. And, and if you think about it, uh, we, we are in the midst of a housing crisis. We have a homeless crisis. I care more uh, and will care more as the mayor of Toronto uh, about homeless person living under that sign more than I will what's on that sign. And, and I know there are some hard feelings about uh, some of these names. 
I grew up in Toronto. I was born and raised here at the corner of Vaughan Road and Humewood. Vaughan was a slave owner. Humewood is named after William Hume Blake, whose family were abolitionists. I literally grew up at the intersection of abolition and slavery. My next door neighbor uh, was a very kind older gentleman who was a tailor. And I remember as an 11 or 12 year old, my mother sent me next door to get some pants hemmed. And when he rolled up his sleeves, he revealed a tattoo of numbers on his, on his wrists. He, he was a Holocaust survivor. The, the folks across the street were, were uh, indigenous uh, first nations community. Um, so, and, and you can't tell, you know, uh, because it's radio, but I'm mm-hmm. from the black community. My, my, my parents immigrated from Jamaica, which, you know, obviously is a former slave colony. We all have personal trauma, ancestral trauma. Uh, we are affected by colonialism. We're affected by things that have happened in the past. But Toronto's a, a place where people go, um, uh, came to as a, as a haven, a place to raise their families, to escape tyranny uh, and trauma. To, to thrive and live together. And, and I think, and I'm not saying forget about it or get over it. What I'm saying is we have some really urgent needs now that we need to take care of. And if, if I'm elected mayor, I want to build a safer, cleaner, and kinder uh, city. So one that's, that's a better Toronto for all. We have to do things. We have a scarce resource. It's called money. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have another scarce resource. It's called time. We urgently have to fix some of the challenges that we have uh, because we're running out of time. We're losing m- tens of millions of dollars in TTC fare because council in its infinite wisdom closed warming centers. You know, where do they expect homeless people in distress to go? They're going to go to libraries and they're going to go to the subway system. And ho- and they'll just sit and they'll sit in emergency rooms and hospitals and, and crap. And I don't blame, I don't blame them for, for doing that. The last, ho- the last uh, person experiencing homelessness, I gave money to. I said, "Where, where were you last night?" This is in in uh, middle of February, so a month, six weeks ago. And he said, "I just went and stayed in the emergency room, and and they just left right. me alone." But that's what they're doing. Well, that's exactly what they're doing. And so, you know, if we have a kinder city, we're going to have a safer city. You know, if we if the, spending a hundred thousand dollars on a warming center would have saved us tens of millions of dollars mm-hmm. in lost TTC revenue. So we can't be a penny wise and a pound foolish. We've got to take care of our citizens. We have to have a safe city as well, and we have to clean things up. Like it, 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 we're not we're not the Toronto the good of the seventies and eighties anymore. And I want to bring that back. I want the TTC to be the better way and the safer way. I'm also going to ride transit every single day as mayor. I'm going to make sure that that the experience of TTC riders is the same experience that I have, and that policies that I implement will affect me in the same way it's going to affect everyday uh, transit users. Just to reset, we're talking to Rob Davis. He's running for mayor of the city of Toronto on 640 Toronto. What do, what do you distinguish? Because you've done it before and you've been on council before. What do you distinguish between big city problems? I, I worry there's a group out there and they'll say, we got to do this and do that. And I'm just like stuff. And I could use another word besides stuff, as you can imagine. Um, stuff's going to happen in big cities. Crime will happen. Gridlock will happen. Um, decrepit buildings will happen. Uh, it's, and there'll be expensive cities to live in. What are big city problems vis-a-vis the problems now that we're like, oh, I didn't see this coming five years ago? Like, I think there's a little bit of both. Right, right. So we have this strange confluence. Like, we have a lot of construction happening. Uh, we, have, we have construction happening with Hoarding, taking up uh, active lanes of traffic, 
we have uh, 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 let's just say a, a mushrooming of uh, of bike lanes, which I think we have to really review uh, how we get people to move. People are congested; they can't they can't get from point A to point B. I remember in the old days you could get from Scarborough to Etobicoke, and it wouldn't and it wouldn't take half of your life, you know, uh, or half of your Saturday or half of your Sunday to get across the city to be able to visit your, your, your aunt or your grandmother or a family member or do some shopping. So we have to rethink whether or not uh, taking up half of the lanes on Bloor Street for, for bike lanes is the right thing to do. You know, a, a lot of, um, and then there's the cost of living. The cost of li- living has skyrocketed, particularly housing. But the people I'm running against are the ones who've been there for the last 10 or 15 years. Yeah. They, in part, are responsible for the, the high cost of housing. They're in, in responsible for the congestion. They're responsible for the crime on, on, on the transit system. They're responsible for the ballooning numbers of homeless people. So, um, you know, one of the things I, of which I'm most proud, back in 2000, I came up with this little idea, which was really a big idea, to have a gun buyback program, gun amnesty, gun buyback program. And since that program was implemented, that policy, uh, the city of Toronto has been able to collect close to 10,000 guns from the streets of Toronto, 10,000. I want that number to just sit for a while. That's more guns than any one police officer would remove from the streets of Toronto in their entire career. And, 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 and why is that important? Well, not all gun violence is gang violence. You know, some gun violence is domestic. Some is suicide. I myself lost two friends in high school um, to suicide by gun, their parents gun. So getting guns uh, off the streets, uh, out of people's homes means they're less likely to be stolen and used in a crime, less likely to be used in a domestic assault, less likely to be uh, used in an accidental shooting, less likely to be used in suicide. We, we just have to do the types of things that are going to protect the community. Um, that's one policy that I implemented mm. that is having a lasting effect today. Um, but but yeah. if, I can, if I can save $21 million dollars, uh, just by deciding not to change the name of law signs. When I'm mayor, I'm going to find tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. We have a billion dollar uh, budgetary hole that we have to dig ourselves out yeah, of. Yeah. No, wonder the, uh, no wonder the federal government and the provincial government aren't bailing us out because we're spending money on folly like changing the name of Dundas street. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot there. There's, there's a lot of wasteful spending and, and you're isolating a lot of, a lot of, a lot of great examples. I got a blast for now, but let's, uh, let's have a chat and feel free to come in studio at some point in time in the next three months. I'd love to get to know you better and have more conversations like this, Rob. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, Greg. You can go to robdavis.ca, find out more about Rob's candidacy.